Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Vita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans into space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. Today, for episode 12, we'll be speaking with Dan Doney, CEO, John Hensel, COO, and Patrick Campos, Chief Strategy Officer from Securency. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Chris. Good to see you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Super excited today because we're speaking to a couple of Naval Academy graduates and a Marine, so feel very close to home. Um, let's start off. Maybe, Dan, can you, can you share your background and, ex and, and experience? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a 1992 Naval Academy graduate. I spent uh, eight years in the submarine force in, in the U.S. Navy. Um, after leaving the military, I, I went and worked at the National Security Agency for uh, a number of years, almost a decade, and, and finished my career prior to founding this company um, as the Chief Innovation Officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency. That's it? Wow, that's a pretty impressive background. Um, John, you want to kick off with a little bit about your background in the military? Sure. Thanks, Chris. Uh, like Dan, I'm a class of 92 graduate from the Naval Academy. We actually were uh, company mates and roommates uh, way back in the day, so we've known each other for a long time. Uh, after graduation, I, I headed off to flight school in Pensacola, uh, eventually becoming a P-3 Orion plane commander and uh, flew in, in the Navy for 25 years, uh, retired as a Navy captain. The latter, say, decade or so of my career, I was working at Naval Air Systems Command. Uh, in that capacity, I was a program manager for major defense acquisition programs and uh, had an opportunity to work in international programs along the way in cooperation with the Defense Security Cooperation Agency, uh, representing uh, the Navy and our industry partners in the U.S. with uh, foreign military sales and direct commercial sales projects around the world. Well, that's pretty incredible as well. And then uh, last but not least, the, the Marine in the room, Patrick, you want to tell us about your background? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So, um, yeah, uh, I uh, did not attend the Naval Academy. I went to uh, an equally prestigious school called Arizona State University, um, and uh, it's, it's prestigious for other reasons. But um, got out and took a commission in the Marine Corps. Um, I was in the, uh, in the PLC program, took a commission in the Marine Corps, and uh, straight away went out to TBS, served... Um, I, I, was a logistics officer, so I uh, they sent me out to uh, 29 Palms. I was with First uh, Battalion, Seventh Marines, and uh, did a few deployments with them. Finished uh, finished my career in a B billet, uh, doing recruiting duty out in uh, the southeast, uh, headquartered in Atlanta. And then I got out and went to uh, to law school at Georgetown. Uh, did uh, about a decade or so in uh, in big law, really transactional work, uh, finance uh, primarily, and. Uh, Got the itch to uh, to set up my own thing, so I uh, established a strategic consultancy out in uh, out in Dubai, and um, you know it started off as sort of a um, a merchant bank platform, but uh, in the later stages it really uh, turned into um, a lot of uh, early stage work just across the gamut of uh, early stage technology companies in many many different sectors, um, and I guess that prepped me well for uh, you know ultimately joining Securency. Awesome. Really appreciate you sharing your backgrounds. I think one of the things that we try to help people understand is the value that veterans bring uh, to the workforce and, and Web3, et cetera. 
Uh, were there any defining moments during your military careers where you can think about an experience that, that you had that really shaped you uh, as, as you grew into the private sector? I'll open that up to the group. Yeah, I'll start uh, with a, a quick comment. I think it's a, this is a general um, comment that applies for all JOs, junior officers. Um, you're early on in your career as a 21, 22, 23-year-old uh, young man or woman, you are forced into situations where you must make decisions where there's a lot on the line in the face of uncertainty. So, for example, as a junior officer on a multi-billion dollar submarine, I had to make choices about when to come to periscope depth, where that's when you're conning the ship, when you're in control. You have pretty imperfect information, and there are hundreds of lives and certainly billions of dollars of value uh, at stake if you make a mistake. There are very few people in civilian counterparts who are faced with those kinds of decisions on a regular basis. And as a result, later on in your career, you find that in some cases, people are paralyzed by indecision in the face of uncertainty, whereas folks with military experience can plow through. Now, certainly the case in, in blockchain crypto markets, where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a need to lead, to step forward, to make the right decisions with less than perfect information. So I think that that early experience that you get um, as a, a young service member, it's just irreplaceable uh, experience. Couldn't agree more. John or Patrick, do you have anything more to add? Yeah, you know, certainly what Dan's uh, referring to there, uh, decision making is, is huge. And uh, our, our military men and women, uh, officers and enlisted who are serving in, in at varying levels of responsibility and authority within their respective careers uh, are given that opportunity at a young age, really uh, at an incredibly young age to be able to, to uh, gain that experience. As you get further along, uh, whether it's uh, related to your uh, your specialty, your warfare designator, uh, or the organizations that you're operating in, you get obviously increasing levels of responsibility. I was fortunate as I got into Naval Air Systems Command, I was working in the acquisition world. And as a program manager, you know, you're looking at cost schedule and performance of these programs. And, you know, I, I think at, at, uh, at the time, I didn't have an, a, an appreciation for how it correlated over to the startup community. As you think about um, engaging with uh, your program sponsors, your resource sponsors at the Pentagon, uh, the Legislative Affairs Office, the House Armed Services Committee, and others, seeking funding for, for these uh, programs, in, in my case within the Department of the Navy, you're pitching all the time. Why does your program matter? How much is it going to cost? When are you going to deliver? What are the what's the impact if you don't deliver? And of course, those resource sponsors are uh, constantly making trade-offs. And we do this every day. Uh, whether it's seed funding, Series A, Series B, Series C, on down the line, you're constantly telling a story about why the uh, project that you're working on, the company that you're building, uh, the, the services that you're going to deliver in time matter. And the, the ability to, to effectively convey that message in a way that is measurable, it's believable, it inspires trust uh, in, in, in time investment. You know, these are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, depending on where you're working within the military, in my case, in the Department of the Navy, um, you know, really shared a, a tremendous amount of important experience for us. It's, it's been very uh, impactful for us. Patrick, Dan, and myself, all being very effective at, uh, at this aspect of the job. I want to add, you know, sort of two things that, um, you know, particularly if we're, if we're, you know, speaking with 
um, you know, military personnel coming out and transitioning into, you know, a career in this industry. I, I would say that there are two other things um, that are really, really important that I took away and carry to this day from, from my military experience. One is that it's not just the decisions that you make um, about the job itself. It's you're, you're responsible for the welfare of, and not, not the lives, of course, but the welfare of um, these young men and women under your command. And, um, you know, you find yourself at 22 years old, you know, sometimes counseling, uh, you know, an older Marine on, on marital issues, for example, or, or, their, or their personal finances. And um, the, the level of responsibility, um, when you think about it, is, is significant. And that's something that um, um, you don't get um, in just about any other career path. And then finally, um, the, um, the one thing that I've always, you know, thought about looking back is, how significant those challenges were when you're when you're young. You just it's it's what you do. It's your job. You don't want to let down. You know, in, in my case, uh, you know, the, the Marines around you, or the Marine Corps itself. Um, and and then you realize later in life that things really, you know, that other people take as as you know just grave challenges don't actually measure up to that. I remember going to law school and, and asking people, you know, why are you freaking out this this exam? I'm like, is anyone going to die? Right. You know, um, and, and it gives you such a perspective um, that I think helps you through difficult challenges that you'll face as, a, as an entrepreneur. Awesome. Patrick, can you pick up there and talk about your transition? So you, you ended up going to law school, you know, walk us through how you thought through the transition. It's pretty daunting for a lot of folks who have only experienced the military. And, and uh, yeah, I would love to know how, how you did it and what lessons you learned. Well, I mean, it was interesting because um, it, it, it's a little bit random. Um, um, you know, it, back in the 90s um, when I was serving, um, at, at least at the time that I was in, the augmentation rate for young officers was quite low. There was a high probability that you would have to get out. And uh, sort of, um, you know, backup planning, um, I, uh, I, I went ahead and studied for the LSAT, took the LSAT and scored high and um you know, decided, hey, you know, maybe this would be an interesting career within the Marine Corps. And they had a funded law program. Um, and so I applied to some law schools, uh, got into some really good schools, applied for the funded law program. And um, two years in a row, um, the funding for that program was pulled. Um, and so uh, so finally I said, well, you know, I, I think maybe I want to do this as a, you know, as a, as a career. So I got out and I went to uh, I went to law school. Um, you know, it was uh, it was a different time. Um, quite frankly, the you know the our military has been so operational since 9/11. I think if we were that operational at that time, I might not have gotten out. Um, but not a whole lot was happening in the world at that time, you know, um, which is not a bad thing. Um, and so I, you know, I I, I, I made that decision and, and, and went on to law school. Thank you. And, and Dan, uh, you, you know, you served for quite a long time. Uh, tell us about your transition. That, uh, one thing I can remember is how intimidating the transition was where the experiences that I had um, didn't seem to easily translate into the kinds of things that folks were looking for um, when they were hiring. It was hard to, to, uh, to pick the right language so that folks could understand the experiences that I had. And uh, what, what I found after the fact is, of course, so much of what I had done translated over. But uh, I've often said to, to others who are making that transition, that um, it, uh, 
it's going to seem a lot harder than, than, than what it is. And that it is a scary moment, but within a month, you'll find that you begin to blend right in and you fall back to those core values that you've been uh, trained and taught and they do translate over. Um, it, in my case, I went uh, from uh, before 9-11, from the submarine force to the startup world uh, straight away before going and spending time uh, in, in government settings. And uh, that, that was a tricky transition for the first month or so. And then again, you, you move across. Uh, regarding my entry point into blockchain um, and in this world of, of crypto, the one thing that's translated very well, and it's proven uh, valuable over time, but it didn't seem like it at first, is integrity and the importance of integrity. So many, many folks in the blockchain space actually, frankly, are looking for ways around the rules um, or engaged in otherwise shady activity. We chose to take a very different path in terms of the way we run our com company. So those core values of uh, integrity and accountability translated directly into this space. And even if it doesn't seem like it right away, in the long run, these values hold up. And I think that the blockchain world has learned this over the last decade. Eventually, integrity matters. And so we will be having been rooted in the right values. Um, it was a natural transition for me. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more than that. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, and, and you need to do the right thing uh, to sustain in the space or any space for that matter. I mean, I even saw it in finance. Uh, John, would love to hear about your transition. Sure. Well, you know, as I said earlier, Chris, I was fortunate to serve a, a naval career. It was 25 years uh, retiring as a Navy captain coming out of uh, NAVAIR. And, you know, at that stage in my career, um, you know, I had been working for nearly a decade or more uh, with our, our industry partners, Boeing, Raytheon, Lockheed, and others. And it would have been a rather easy transition, I think, probably just to, to move into a defense contractor role, supporting one of our industry partners in, in a capacity very similar to what I was performing when I was in uniform. Uh, but I had the good fortune of being in the state of Maryland, uh, not far away from where Dan was living. And we started, you know, ideating a little bit uh, on weekends and, and uh, get togethers at football games at the Naval Academy, talking about other courses that we could follow. And, uh, in doing this, you know, started to really think about, you know, the opportunities to uh, be part of a, a very, very significant shift in finance and embracing distributed ledger technology. And uh, I saw that as a, a massive responsibility um, to contribute to the eventual adoption of the technology and to, to contribute to the way it was going to be done correctly. So. The good fortune for me was that I had, uh, you know, a fantastic friend that I trusted in Dan to be, uh, you know, to co-found the company with. Um, it was a significant lifestyle change, as you might imagine. You, know, you go from, uh, you know, um, being compensated as a naval officer in, in that capacity to, um, you know, tuna fish and uh, and uh, whatnot. You know, joking a little bit, uh, in so far as uh, the, what the transition was like, but. Um, it was a, uh, a fantastic experience and, you know, we ground away at it for a couple of years, um, you know, as any startup would uh, to, to get the resources in place to build the company. But um, really, really pleased now seven years into this, we have uh, quite a team and have made that impact uh, and I think are going to be one of the, the leaders in the industry as uh, 
digital securities and other regulated financial instruments move into the blockchain. Chris, as you know, we Marines wonder why it takes these sailors so long to make captain. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. So you guys met, you started iterating, and that drew you into this blockchain space. Um, Patrick, how did you get into crypto? And I want to talk about crypto versus what you were talking about earlier, John, um, you know, blockchain as you see it. But, but what, what got you into the space? John. No, Patrick. <laughs> oh, no, John, no, that, John that, brought you in? That's Did you guys knew each other previously? No. So, so it's, it's, it's a funny story. And it, and it goes to, and it goes, you know, to um, this whole theme of, um, you know, integrity trust um, and that military background. Um, so, uh, you know, among other entrepreneurial ventures, um, I, I, my wife and I and another, another fellow set up a, uh, an American football league in the UAE. And, uh, and, you know, set it up because uh, I had a 10-year-old son at the time. This was in 2011. And, um, and I thought, well, we're here for a little while. And um, if I don't have football, I'm kind of a bad dad. I don't give my son football. So we have to make it. And so we created a league. And, um, you know, it, it was a pretty successful little league um, from kids all the way up to men. In any event, one day I'm sitting in my office and I get a phone call from someone. Didn't know who he was. Introduced himself as John Hensel. He said, hey, I'm uh, in the UAE. I'm exploring the possibility of opening an office for um, my company here. And I might move my family out here. And I have two high school age boys um, who play football. And uh, I'm told that you're the football guy out here. And uh, I said, well, yeah, let's talk about football. It's great to have two, two you know, experienced players coming over. What do you do? And the rest is history. Um, so. But it was a lot of it had to do with the fact, you know, it, I had obviously heard about the industry, been tracking it from afar, didn't know that much about it. Um, but um, in that conversation with John and then sensing his enthusiasm um, in a subsequent conversation that uh, I had uh, by video with Dan, where I really got, you know, some insight into his vision. I got excited about it. But what really put me, you know, over the top was the fact that um, these were two uh, former military guys. Uh, that I knew that, you know, there would be sort of an environment of, as Dan said, integrity and trust. Um, and um, Dan's, you know, vision of using blockchain to solve for a lot of the problems that caused, say, the 2008 meltdown, um, that really resonated with me. And so, you know, all of those factors came into play, but it was, uh, it was a, as, as random as one might think. Yeah, I know, I know a little bit about the 2008 meltdown. I was sitting on the desk in Lehman when it blew up. So, Ooh, right. I think we uh, where we all want to make the world a better place, and you know, one of the things I keep focusing on is that crisis was caused by centralization. I think the regulatory response was more centralization, and now we need to really embrace some of the decentralization capabilities we have in an above board manner, as, as you guys state. But all right, let's get into security. Um, maybe Dan, can, can you tell us about the company? What role does it serve? What what do you guys do? Who are your clients, etc.? Yeah, so uh, security is a blockchain based financial service infrastructure company. Uh, with a special emphasis on compliance in decentralized compliance or so mechanisms to to ensure that transactions on blockchain remain conformed to regulatory requirements. So we have intellectual property that allows you to automate, for example, peer-to-peer transactions in, in the blockchain world. We also have tools that make it practical to uh, interoperate with traditional financial institutions so that they can bring their customers into the blockchain space and customers in the blockchain world can interact freely with traditional financial services. So those those tools together 
make it possible for legacies, for incumbents to branch into this space. And that actually uh, is a core set of our customers. So we work with the likes of State Street, um, U.S. Bank, Wisdom Tree, and others, traditional financial institutions who see the power, transformational power of tokenization, are looking to apply that to both revolutionize their back office and middle office functions, but uh, also to reach more broadly globally. So there are many folks who are underserved in the banking world, especially in the investment banking world. There's the vast majority of people do not have access to good financial opportunities as investment, uh, as investments. And we provide the mechanism to really scale out the kinds of financial services you normally only find in New York City, London, Tokyo, out to the, to the rest of the world by leveraging the power of blockchain. Awesome. Is that why you're based in you're based in Dubai? Can you tell us about where your office is and your company size? And yeah, I'll tackle that. So, uh, despite the colonial brick over my shoulder and over Patrick's shoulder, we're actually speaking to you from uh, Abu Dhabi. The flashing lights out the window or the Abu Dhabi Global Market uh, building. So, we did expand as as Patrick uh, introduced back in 2017 to the UAE. Uh, we found it to be a fantastic environment to do business. Incredibly high regulatory bar. But a very pragmatic regulator, one who was uh, tech forward. Uh, they're prepared to embrace the digital securities framework. In fact, their regulatory framework here is uh, probably uh, the gold standard uh, for how securities and other regulated instruments can be recorded and transacted in a DLT environment. But beyond that, the jurisdiction has just been fantastic to us for many reasons. We've been able to attract talent from around the world. We've got about 80 employees here in uh, the UAE that are supporting us in various capacities. Some of them are developers, uh, some of them are uh, project managers, others are uh, in the financial services space as compliance professionals and operators. So we've got a really uh, diverse team, over 30 different nationalities uh, represented in the group. And um, you know, just a really exciting environment to be in. This is an emerging market. Uh, we see it as an opportunity for us to showcase our tech in a, uh, call it a, a smaller marketplace, uh, but one that has very, very big global aspirations. And the regulator has been just tremendous in helping us gain access to other jurisdictions around the world, even the SEC. So we've done some fantastic technology demonstrations with the SEC over the course of the time that we've been here. So it's been a, a great place for us to do business and uh, it's a great launching pad for us to other markets around the world. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things uh, about Abu Dhabi and the UAE, so um, I totally understand. Now, if a veteran's transitioning uh, and they're looking for a, a job at Securency, would they have to move to the UAE or do you guys also hire remotely? Yeah, Chris, to be clear, <clears throat> I'm uh, from the U.S. headquarters um, here just outside Washington, D.C., and we are a global first company. We have folks um, spread around the United States, in New York, in Boston, uh, a big contingent in, in Raleigh, um, some in Texas and, and elsewhere. We are first a remote company. Uh, so we do have places and some fancy and nice offices where, where folks uh, congregate, but we are remote first. So folks are able to join us really from anywhere. Uh, we have other positions in, in, in other nationalities as well. So we have operations in, in Eastern Europe, um, in the UK, et cetera. That's great. Th thank you for that. And as you're hiring uh, folks, what type of skill sets are you looking for? Uh, what's most in demand? Do they have to be computer scientists? But we'd love to understand you know, what skill sets 
you're looking for as you, as you hire new employees? Yeah, I'll say first and foremost, we're looking for creative problem solvers. So when you take a transformational technology like blockchain, the possibilities are limitless. Um, but the, uh, the, the need to, to both consider the way things are and why they're that way um, with respect, not disrespect, and look to take advantage of new possibilities and bring them to, to that world requires folks who have creative problem solving skills. First and foremost, uh, almost everything else follows from that. Um, certainly having a financial background is, is helpful. Um, having a technology background is, is also helpful, but you can imagine for a growing company, uh, the, our, our needs span the whole, whole gamut of, uh, of different skills that people bring to the table. Yeah, and building on building on Dan's point there, um, you know, it, there, that that is a thing that um, you know I think is is uh, typical of um, you know of, of young uh, transitioning military people. Um, it, Dan earlier said that that transition in the in the early stage can be can be difficult, but I think for a lot of um, a lot of folks getting out of the military, you realize very quickly that you're asked during your military career to do so many different things, and sometimes. Um, you know, rapidly asked to take on a, a, a new task um, and um, and figure it out. And, um, you know, the old classic, what now, Lieutenant? Right. Um, and um, and so that actually is a is is, is the most important transferable skill set, particularly when you think about an early stage company. Um, and, you know, we are, you know, while we're in Series C, we still are not um, at a stage where we say, oh, well, you know, we're kind of an established corporate. We still have, you know, that. Um, that that early stage grind, right? So that's a second issue there, and a second item um, that 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 we think that for um, you know young military personnel that they have that 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 you know understanding of what it is to just say I got to do what it takes to get the job done, um, you know, not hey that's not my job, right? Um, there's no room for that in a in a in an early stage company, right? Um, you know, everybody's got to know how to swab the deck when the you know if, if need be, right? And so, um, so those are those are tremendous skills. This is an uncertain environment in a new industry, right? And so, uh, you know, so those are those are skill sets that um, you know military personnel you know have sort of you know endemically. The next question I was going to ask was around you know what excites you about Web three. But before I do that, I know John, we were talking a little bit beforehand around we we're throwing around some words blockchain, we we're throwing around crypto, uh, and then I would also say Web three. How do you think about you know, those different verticals and then, you know, what excites you about them? Well, I'll dive in on some of this and I'm sure Patrick and uh, Dan will share some thoughts as well. But, you know, when we think about uh, digital assets uh, broadly, you know, there, there are a variety of different asset types that fall into the, those uh, buckets. You've got, you know, uh, crypto, of course, is one, but you've got public equities, private equities, collateralized debt, non-fungible assets, you know, a whole host of different types of of financial instruments that people typically invest in because there's an opportunity either for uh, yield or growth. And, um, you know, as we look at those different assets, there are different regulations that they fall into or, or subject to. So as a company, uh, we're building financial services products that support regulated financial services businesses to be able to transact more efficiently. So effectively unifying the capital market stack, everything from the settlement layer all the way out to the wealth manager and client facing components. Um, to do that, 
you have to address compliance at an institutional level. So um, as different assets are transacting, if they're truly going to be transacting in a unified capital market environment, in pre pre predominantly in a decentralized context, uh, you need to address the compliance considerations. So as we are working with uh, you know, asset managers who are managing portfolios of public or private assets, um, as we're working with uh, various banks and, and other uh, product managers that are supporting different types of assets, we have to be able to accommodate that. So as we look at the digital assets marketplace, it's all of those asset types and preferably transacting in the same environment. We're really fortunate to have some fantastic partners, uh, publicly traded assets that are uh, managed by Wisdom Tree, as an example, um, private equities, uh, open-end funds, closed-end funds, variety of different products in, in, uh, in the market that can transact in a single environment, which is really going to be a, a new experience for investors and wealth managers to be able to have an entire uh, portfolio of asset types uh, all available through a single interface. Any other thoughts, gents? What, what excites you down the road? I, I know Dan's going to have a, a, a lot to say on this. I, I'll touch on one point and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Dan. Um, and, and, and maybe I'll even just put the ball on the tee for him here. But uh, but the uh, you know one of the things you know that's ex that's super exciting about this space is that it's it's not just a technical challenge, um, it's not just a business challenge, um, but it's also a philosophical challenge. Earlier in the conversation, Chris, um, you spoke eloquently about the importance of decentralization. We certainly agree with that, um, but it's important for reasons that are just operational, right? Um, you know, there were some real societal, uh, you know, policy driven and, and yes, philosophical issues that go into thinking about that. And, um, you know, we share that ethos. Um, on the other hand, you know, all of us here on this, uh, you know, in this discussion with our military backgrounds also share a common ethos about, you know, responsibility. And um, and so when you put those two things together, um, you, you end up trying to solve two very hard problems on each side. You know, how do you stimulate freedom? Um, you know, responsibly, right? Um, because um, if you don't have that underlying ethos, it becomes anarchic or exploitative, as Dan was referring to earlier. On the other side, how do you enable compliance without creating sort of excessive oversight or even oppression? And and how do you balance those two things? And and what we one of the things that we vibe on all the time is that as technologists, you don't have the luxury of assuming that the powerful technology you create is only going to be used for good. You have to play a role in shaping it um, so that it will be um, it will do the greatest good and do the least harm simultaneously. That's not easy. Um, but solving those problems actually goes well beyond just, you know, making money. We all want to make money in business, but it goes well beyond that. And to me, I think that's the most exciting part. Any thoughts, Dan? Yeah. So I, I'm a I'm a Web3 zealot, a true believer. Um, I was, I'm old enough to, to have been around on um, the birth of the internet. And actually, Tim Berners-Lee's, or, or John and I actually were at the Naval Academy when ARPANET was rolling out, which ultimately led to, um, to, to the internet as, as we know it. Tim Berners-Lee's original vision for the World Wide Web was actually the semantic web, a mechanism by which objects that, that traverse networks could actually describe themselves to their surrounding world. And the internet actually never achieved that. The internet managed to get to network interconnectivity, but not meaning interconnectivity. Web3 it's at its core, 
actually starts with the idea of effectively a decentralized schema, the mechanism by which we can start with pointers on blockchain ledgers and then build meaning collectively around those individual pointers, the true definition of Web3. So here, what is it, uh, 30, 40 years later, we're finally at the point where the original vision is possible. The means by which we can have decentralized mechanisms to establish authority structures, to establish trust structures, and most importantly, to establish meaning. Here's the, here's the contrast. I mean, this all sounds heady and perhaps abstract, but when you look at, at banking systems, working with our institutional partners, what you see in the old model, the web one and web two model, is parties building systems and inside of those systems, among other things, they would have assets, that is rows in a data table representing an ownership structure. So inside of systems where you have assets, when those interact with other systems, you had all the complexity of interconnecting these various systems. And it's not for lack of smart people or lack of investment by banks that they're slow moving. They just get buried by that complexity. Web3 offers a very different model. That is, instead of the systems having assets, the asset has the system. And, and that is through the use of smart contracts, you can have a pointer to an individual asset, an NFT or, or other uh, type of token, in which case it ca carries its own processing in an open and standardized way, such you don't have to ask questions or do system integration to figure out how do I transfer ownership, but also how do I ascribe meaning, um, make statements about this individual asset. That fundamentally changes back banking, back office and middle office functions, but it also opens up the means by which people ac access that value, access that meaning and interact with it. So you don't have to go through centralized active directory um, or LDAP systems in order to establish that you have the authority to cause a state change. This is radically different from a computer science perspective um, than the way things were. And we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of the implications. But certainly having a small team like Compound or Aave, Aave where you know, a dozen or so developers can perform the work that takes thousands of folks to do on a traditional banking service in terms of lending or, or other services, that's again, just a, a demonstration of the power of these new models. And again, we're just at the very beginning of this model. The bottom line is this opens up opportunity to people globally. Folks who, because the cost of running centralized systems was so high, there were the vast majority of the world simply couldn't access that, that um, value or that opportunity. And frankly, the parties who managed those systems couldn't manage the risk associated with touching six, seven billion uh, people in the world. By decentralizing these components, you actually can get to that kind of scale. And that's better for everyone. So we're, we're thrilled to be a part of this. Um, of course, if you can't bed, embed in this, the rules, the trust structures that are associated with an orderly society, then you're actually going to lead to the kind of anarchical things that we've seen early on in blockchain days. But again, even those things can be decentralized in very powerful ways. So we're, we're at the, right at the, at the cusp as we're beginning to show our institutional partners how much money they can save through these operations, but how many more clients, how many more people, how many more services they can offer as a result. Couldn't agree more, incredibly eloquent. Thank, thanks for that feedback, Dan.
All right. Next question. What advice would you give to a vet or a spouse trying to break into this space, trying to get into Web3? Any thoughts? Well, you've got to try it on your own. So the good news is there's lots of tools that are out there that um, it's so darn easy to get access to a wallet and start playing in the space to familiarize yourself with the new concepts. There's, you know, you can listen to dozens of folks, hundreds of folks like uh, the three of us, the four of us, and on how it all works until you try it on your own. Um, you will. I remember the first time I did a Bitcoin transaction in 2012, downloaded a wallet, received Bitcoin. It was that easy. It took minutes to, to begin transacting in the value. It opened things up by doing. So I would recommend to folks to actually try it out. Um, get, get yourself a wallet and engage in, in the models. There's lots of great learning after you've done the, the, your first attempt. So staked your first piece of value, for example, and, and see how much interest you can actually earn from this. You will then, those, those lessons that are available, the great tutorials that you can get from a range of different spaces will mean that much more. But dive in and be careful. So there are certainly lots of folks out there who um, are taking advantage of, uh, in some cases, the lack of oversight to, uh, to exploit individuals in the space. So move uh, wisely, but also um, aggressively, because this is changing everything about finance. Yeah, I agree. And it doesn't take a lot of money, right? You can go in and you can touch those protocols that you mentioned previously. Um, and I, I, I give veterans the same advice, touch it, feel it, taste it, and then you'll start understanding the promise. Um, any other thoughts, Patrick or John? Well, you know, you, your question, I think was, you know, any an advice to, you know, military members or uh, spouses that, of military families transitioning into the industry. Um, I, I think one of the things that we all benefited from was uh, working with people that we knew and we trusted. Uh, so where the opportunity presents, uh, you know, many folks have uh, networks that start, whether at boot camp or AOCS or uh, you know, the academy or wherever it may be. Um, and those relationships are really, really meaningful. Uh, they uh, get you through the hard times because there will be challenges along the way, particularly in the startup world. Uh, not all that enter into the Web3 environment have to, have to do so via the startup channel. But uh, it is a new industry. Surrounding yourself with people that you trust and people that you will uh, go to the mat for uh, makes a big difference. And uh, you know, where, where folks have the opportunity to do that, I highly encourage them to start there. Awesome. Um, are you guys hiring right now? And if so, where, where do people apply? We are hiring uh, in a, a variety of different disciplines. Uh, our engineering team, particularly in the blockchain team, is uh, one that's attracting talent from all over the world, frankly, as Dan was kind of highlighting the, uh, the geography of the, of the uh, uh, footprint of operations. We go from as far east as Vietnam to as far south as uh, South Africa. We're in Brazil, but we have a concentration of, of uh, folks in the United States and in Europe, and um, you know, particularly for servicemen and women who are looking for jobs uh, via our LinkedIn page. You have an opportunity to contact us uh, through our website, you have an opportunity to contact us. And we have a number of positions that are posted, ranging from the engineering disciplines to uh, sales, marketing, uh, compliance, a variety of different areas that we uh, are confident we would uh, be able to, to support a veteran in transition. If, if you're a fierce and creative problem solver, 
we've got a spot for you. Awesome. And how can, how can people connect with you? LinkedIn, is that best? LinkedIn is ideal. Um, info at security.com is another great channel to, to pass along um, information or requests. And of course, um, we're Dan, John, and Patrick at security.com if you want to reach us directly. That's pretty easy. Um, pretty easy. Any last thoughts, gents? Um, I, I, I'll, I'll just add one final note here. And for, for, it's really to say, uh, you know, number one, Chris, it's a uh, it's a pleasure uh, not just being on this program with you, but but, you know, actually meeting you. I'm uh, I'm always um, I, I'm always surprised and I shouldn't be, um, you know, by the uh, you know, the, the the successful Marines that I uh, that I meet out there um, in the world. But um, in this space in particular, there's a, you know, there's really such a great group of, of veterans um, that are in the space. It's a great network. Um, no one's done more, I think, than you to uh, pull that uh, that network together. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're pleased to be here and um, certainly, um, you know, would like to kind of pay it back and pay it forward. So, uh, you know, I encourage any of your, your listeners and, and, and members of your, your group um, to reach out to us. I really appreciate those thoughts. And, and yeah, we're trying to build a community. Like you guys said, it's, it's easiest to do business with fellow veterans, right? Um, so the more we can get together and take each other, take care of each other as we transition, there's plenty of danger out there, but um, but it's, it's really to find people that you can trust and help you transition is what it's all about. So I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And for the vets out there, please connect with us on Twitter, join our Discord. We're about 500 strong in our community right now. Uh, and there's some incredible resources in Discord. And so We'll continue to put out these these uh, podcasts in an effort to educate. But uh, guys, I really appreciate you coming on today. I learned a ton about security. And um, again, I can't thank you enough. And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do. And, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Please pick me on Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.